listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks to everyone for joining us again for episode 201. Paige Wilson, how are you doing? I'm pretty honored to have this position. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you're a little bit nervous, which is funny. So if the audience doesn't know who Paige Wilson is, who is Paige Wilson? So I'm the host of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast. I'm part of the core team, I'm one of the founding members of OGGN. So with a background in regulatory compliance. Yeah, and your show, Industry Leaders, is sponsored by a little company. I can't remember the name of it. AWS Energy. Yeah, so Amazon's your sponsor. Yeah. Yeah, that must be kind of cool. Speaking of being nervous. <laughs> Speaking of being nervous. <laughs> yeah, everybody, so as you know, Jake has left. Paige has graciously stepped into his place, so she's the new co-host for this show, which means that all of you out there that are sending me notes saying, can I be your new co-host? I'm sorry. You got beat out uh-huh. by Paige. <laughs> And real quick, before we get into the show, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor of this show, IBM. They're part of the Global Citizens team, and they're putting on One World Together at home, which is going to happen tonight. So by the time you hear this, it's already passed. But what it is, it's a bunch of entertainers, musicians that have gotten together to help entertain literally the world while we're all locked down. And instead of them looking for sponsorship dollars to put this on, some big companies, and IBM is one of them, reached out, reached in their checkbook, and wrote a check so that they could put this show on. And then the proceeds are going to go to help fight this COVID-19 pandemic we're in. So big shout out for IBM for not only doing the right thing, but doing it in a way where it helps them give back. I'm pretty sure they raised about $35 million. Yeah, that's awesome. $35 million. And we're going to actually watch it tonight. So like I said, by the time you hear this, it'll be over. So go watch the reruns. And then speaking of watching the reruns, if you want to support this show and any of our 10 now on gas podcast, leave us a review. It's the number one way to support the show and all of our show. We have one here. I started listening last year after finishing my service in the Navy. Thank you for your service, Squid. As a submarine officer, <laughs> this podcast helped me get up to speed on the industry and made my transition back to the city life easier. Thank you, Mark, Jake, and the rest of the team at OGGN. And I'm teasing about the Squid thing, mostly. This is from Alan Gones via Apple Podcast. So big shout out to Alan for not only serving our country, but for listening to our podcast and actually getting value. So we appreciate it, Alan. All right, let's get the news stories, Paige. Okay. As Russia and Saudi Arabia retreat, U.S oil industry avoids the worst. That's still open for speculation at this point, <laughs> but at least we're going down the right direction, right? This is a good article, and it's actually in the New York Times. It's built around what actually happened politically and business-wise between Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the U.S. when we had the low crude prices literally tanked the entire industry. Now, there's a couple of things in here they didn't quite get right. They talk a little bit about how this was an attempt to actually put some of the American companies out of business, which it wasn't. And they talk a little bit about how this had happened before when they upped production. Well, when it happened back in 2014, they didn't up production. They just didn't cut anything. But for the most part, it's a good article. The funny thing is, of all countries that are part of OPEC, the one that I would have never guessed to hold out as far as production cuts is Mexico. What is going on, Mexico? You know, and I get it. I get that uh, Pemex is a big part of your economy. But if everybody else in the world is agreeing to cut, you need to cut to it. And they will. We're leveraging them in a way that's going to be beneficial for everybody. 
Now, the other thing here is there's a bunch of analysts that say they think oil's going to remain below $40 for a very long time. I don't think so, although today I think it was below 23 which is just scary. The other thing that's going on that's a big part of this is demand has dropped. And we've talked about this on previous shows, but because the world is in lockdown, the world is not consuming lipstick and car tires and nylon shirts and gasoline and diesel and jet fuel. That's the biggest thing. We need to get the world's economy back up. We need to get people start getting back to work so we can start consuming hydrocarbons, which would then help fix all of this. And then they go through some of the companies that aren't going to survive, and that's unfortunately 100% right. And they talk a little bit about the COVID-19 virus locking everything down. So if you want kind of a high-level overview of what has happened, what's going on, it's a good, quick, easy read. Just don't believe the part where they talk about how Saudi and Russia increased production to tank stuff because they didn't. They just didn't cut production. What's next? Okay, we've got meeting strict government standards for wastewater reuse and improved water quality. And this is really cool. So this is actually in China they're talking about. And when I think of parts of the world that have polluted the most in the last, say, decade or two, China is one of them. And it's really cool to see them not only pivot, but use the power of their communist government to pivot quickly. So this is a whole article about how in their refining world, in the petrochemical part of China, that they haven't had good emission standards. And the Chinese government has stepped in and given some very serious emission standards in a very short amount of time to meet those standards. I'll give you a perfect example. So here in the U.S., if you look at what's called COD, which is basically chemical oxidation on demand, so chemical terms, a way to measure oxidation in stuff that you emit, like wastewater. If you look at CO2 requirements in the U.S., it's about 50 milligrams per liter. China, and that's the requirements by the EPA, China's stepping in for their first rule. They've never had rule four at 40 milligrams per liter. So they're already coming in at a much stricter rules than we have here in the U.S. And the U.S. is some of the strictest in the world. So, so I think this is really cool. And what they're trying to do is protect not only their freshwater resources for their own industrial use, but for also their people. You know, the Yangtze River is a huge water supply to a whole bunch of cities in China. And a lot of the petrochemical plants are on that river. So if they can protect their freshwater, it benefits everybody. Now, the other thing that they're looking at, they're, they're rolling out a five-year plan for all of their industries, right, to meet these emission standards. And the cool thing is a lot of the stuff they're doing involves technology. Typically, when I think of Chinese implementing measures like this, it's usually massive construction projects, right? So massive tanks to hold the water, you know, massive vats to aerate them, to get the nitrogen out, and, you know, all the stuff that happens from anaerobic bacteria. And actually, they're using technology, including artificial intelligence that run this. So if you're listening to this and you're in the upstream part of the industry that deals with produced water and you're looking for another market for your services, go check out China. Very quickly, they're trying to step up their standards and they need our help or they need the world's help. But really good article showing how the Chinese government is trying to clean up their wastewater. And it's the right thing for them to do and for the world. Amen to that. All right. Next one. Women working offshore encourages others to come aboard. Yeah, this is a rig zone article. It's really interesting. So they had basically two women they interviewed. One's been in the industry for a couple of years and one's been in the industry for 37 years. And the one that's been in the industry 37 years, her name is Early, Stacey Early. She has a complete different story because when she came in 37 years ago, she was the only woman anywhere, not only on the rig, but on the helicopter, back in town, anywhere. And now she says it's really cool that when she goes out in the rig, there's other women out there and they look at it as normal where she's going, oh, my God, there's another woman here on the rig. But this is a good story about how Transocean and a couple other companies have worked really hard to get young women into things like petroleum engineering. And then once they've gotten out of petroleum engineering, they 
hire them and they bring them on as part of their teams. And so, you know, hats off to Transocean for being one of the companies early to see this need. And then they talk about all the women's groups. And it's really funny. When I got started, there were zero women's groups in oil and gas. And then you had the very first one, which actually one of my board members in API started. And I cannot remember the name of it. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. No. Anyway, but now you have, you know. I'm not that old. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but now you have women in energy. You have several sections of SP. You have different women's group. There's a whole bunch of women's groups out there. And so I just think it's cool that, you know, 37 years ago, companies like Transocean saw that diversity was an issue and they made steps to fix it. And here are the results where you have women now that are common. And I get it, people. No hate me. I know that women still aren't 50% of our workforce. But I tell you what. They're the fastest growing segment of our workforce. If that trend continues, somewhere maybe in my lifetime, I may be the minority, which would be cool. Yeah. Actually, speaking of Transocean and women and women offshore, Ali Cedeno is actually, she's got her own women's offshore podcast and gone to a couple of her annual meetings and it's just grown tremendously. And she's a sweetheart. We've met her several times. I've actually had her on oil and gas industry leaders. So Her heart's in the right place. She's doing good stuff out there. So big shout out to Ali. We'll throw a link to what she's doing in the show notes. What's next on the board? DOE negotiating SPR oil storage contract awards. All right. Put you on the spot page. What's SPR stand for? Strategic Petroleum reserve? Very good. It's exactly what it is. So I don't know how long ago this was that they set up the strategic petroleum reserve, but basically our government saw that we had a need to not be reliant on other countries' oil, especially in time of crisis, not just pandemic like we're going through now, but things like times of war. And so they built the strategic petroleum reserve, which basically from a geology point of view, there's these salt domes, which imagine big underground caverns that are surrounded by hard, solid, impermeable salt. And please, no geophysicists tell me that's not impermeable. I get it. But I'm just saying, it's these big underground storage tanks made by nature. And they fill them full of crude oil. And if something bad happened and we needed more crude oil to run our country, our war machine, you know, whatever, we have this strategic supply of it. And so one of the things that the U.S. government and our current administration is doing to try to help this low crude price market is they're wanting to buy oil off the U.S. market to fill up the strategic petroleum reserve. Now, the cool thing about that is they're buying it for pennies on the dollar. At the same time, they're pulling oil off the market that would then keep prices low, and they're putting money in producers' pockets. Now, it's not going to be a lot of money, but it's going to be something. And what happened is this was supposed to happen a couple weeks ago, and we had the first stimulus package go out, and they basically spent the money they needed to buy the oil for the strategic petroleum reserve. Well, now Congress looks like they're going to approve another round of funding so that we can actually buy this oil. Now, here's the thing that's interesting to me. Most of that oil is heavy oil, right? Heavy sour crude, because that's what our refineries like. We produce sweet crude here. So are they going to separate those two so that they're not changing the API weight of the oils in the strategic petroleum reserve? Are they going to store it separately? I I haven't found any information on that. There's also a part of me that says, why don't we just buy the sour crude, right? And then take that investment and then give some of that back to our American producers, some type of stimulus package. And that way we keep our hands on that heavy complex crude, which is so vital. And we're one of the few countries that can refine that stuff and use it. But this is just uh, another response the U.S. government's doing for this COVID-19 pandemic that we're in. So if we can get some of this oil, whether it's our oil or other oil in the market, off the market into these salt domes, and we can put some money in some operators' pockets, it's good for everybody. And then once again, as an American citizen, we're buying this crude at a very cheap price, which is good for all of us. Well, and speaking of the pandemic, next article is ExxonMobil to boost production of chemical rubbing alcohol needed to make masks, gowns, and sanitizer. 
Yeah, I love ExxonMobil to death. I don't like doing business with you, ExxonMobil. <laughs> <But, laughs> I think they know that, Mark. <laughs> they do know that. But as a company, I think you're the best oil and gas engineering and project management company on the planet, bar none. And you're huge and you have global reach. And I think, once again, just like we talked about IBM earlier, here's a big company that could be making money off this. Instead, they're doing the right thing. One of the many downstream petrochemical products ExxonMobil makes is polypropylene. That's what you use to make masks and face shields and gowns. And they're up in their production to about a thousand tons a month. And guess where it's coming from, Paige? Louisiana. Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. <laughs> As a younger person, I spent a lot of time in those refineries, good people. But at the same time, they're also making isopropyl alcohol, which is what you use in hand sanitizer, specifically medical grade hand sanitizer. And so they're cranking out 3,000 tons of this stuff, which is enough to make 50 million four-ounce bottles, right? And this is going to go on and on and on. And that isopropyl alcohol is coming out of Baytown, which is right down the street from where we are now. And so it's really cool that even though ExxonMobil stock is hurting, even though they're hurting their upstream business, their pipeline business, their petrochemical business, and their downstream business, they're going, you know what? We got this. I just think it's cool that the company is doing things to help everybody. You know, they could have taken this and marked it up and made a profit off of it. And what they're basically doing is selling it at cost just to get it on the market as quickly as possible. And then, Paige, you and I talked about this earlier off the mic. One of the constraints for everything, for hand sanitizer, for Clorox wipes and everything is really interesting. It's not making the product. It's not making the hand sanitizer. We can't make the bottles quick enough to fill up. Well, it's because I can't find Clorox wipes anywhere, and that's how you determine that. Yeah, so you can't find Clorox wipes anywhere. Clorox can make the wipes. They just can't make the container fast enough to fill, put the wipes in. And guess where those plastics come from to make all those containers that are in short supply all over the world? That's a good question. Hydrocarbons. Oh, hydrocarbons. I thought you were asking <laughs> where, not, okay. Yeah, so to show you how vital our industry is to everybody, right now the biggest need is being met by hydrocarbons. And this type of thing is just normal day-to-day -day business for us. This is what we do, but it highlights to the public, hey, hydrocarbons are vital for everyday life. And I don't want to harp on this because we're in a pandemic, but it's just interesting to see that, you know, the things that we need to hurry up and get this thing under control rolls around back to hydrocarbons. So just, it's what makes modern life possible. Uh, what's next? Okay. Saskatchewan. Good Provincial, job. I, I struggle with that word. I'm so sorry, Canadians. Provincial government unveils help for oil and gas industry. Yeah, so here's Saskatchewan trying to help their local industry. They have some of the same issues that we're dealing with, where there's differences in politics between different states and the federal government. What they're trying to do is cut some taxes to help their local industry. What they really need is some federal intervention. And Trudeau needs to figure out what the heck he's going to do with the oil and gas industry in Canada. The oil and gas industry in Canada has been decimated before all this happened yeah this is just like worst case scenario for them so for all our canadian brothers and sisters we feel your pain we see it you know so if just the federal government of canada can get their act together with their local provinces they can alleviate some of this bleeding they're not going to fix it overnight in fact it won't be fixed until global demand comes back and until certain political positions get changed Canada is just, just suffering. And what's sad about that is they have such an abundance of that heavy complex crew that we love and the rest of the world loves. So, you know, our hearts and souls go out to y'all in Canada, but this is nice. At least one of the provinces locally is trying to do something. And they're basically, if they can remove some of the overhead, some of the taxes and permitting on top of things, it's going to make it easier for the operators to at least break even. So fingers crossed that this makes a difference, but the federal government over there needs to do something soon. All right. So... Shell sets more ambitious 
emissions goals. Boy, that's a tongue twister. Yeah. So this is part of all of the super majors are looking to kind of fall in line with the Paris Accord. Whether you believe carbon dioxide is a big deal or not, it doesn't matter. It's what's happened. It's the reality of everything. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to cut their carbon output by 30% by 2035. And they actually can do it. By 2050, they want to have net zero, which basically means they can measure all the CO2 they produce as a global organization. And they figure out some way to mitigate that or pull that CO2 out of the air or whatever. And when you do the math, it comes up to zero, then they're net zero. And they're trying to do it by 2050. Now, it's really interesting. So they make this announcement. And I see all this stuff on social media from people that don't understand how the industry works. And so I'm seeing things like, oh, you know, Shell is not really trying to help anything. You know, they're bringing all this oil from Saudi Arabia into the Shell refineries. And they're, they're going to sell the Shell gas stations. And Saudi Arabia doesn't care about CO2 emissions. Well, whether Saudi Arabia cares or not, a couple of things you need to understand. First thing is Shell does not refine a crude into gasoline in a Shell refinery and ship it to Shell gas stations in the U.S. That's not what happens. So the gas stations are always supplied by the closest refinery. Gasoline's heavy. Logistically, it's expensive. It's six pounds a gallon. So you can't ship it from one refinery in Louisiana to the you know, South Florida. It just doesn't make sense. The people that buy Shell gasoline in South Florida are going to buy it from the Chevron refinery, which is in Pasigula, Mississippi, even though it will be labeled Shell. Same thing here. And we're in Houston right now. Most of the gasoline stations, whether it's a Pemex or a Chevron or a Shell station, it comes from the BP refinery, right? Because it's the closest one. The other thing is, Shell had a joint venture with Saudi Arabia called Motiva, and they recently broke that up, and Motiva kept some of the refineries here in the Gulf Coast. The funny thing is I know those refineries. Years ago, I used to spend a lot of time helping those refineries make sure they had connectivity. And there's one right outside of New Orleans. The thing is, the Motiva refineries are run by Motiva, which is a Saudi Aramco company, but it's Saudi Aramco Americas. So even though it has Saudi Aramco in the name, it's an American company. And yes, some of their profits do get sent back to Saudi Arabia in the Middle East, but most of them stay right here in the States. Most of their employees are U.S. employees. You know, they pay their taxes for U.S. roads. So all this buzz about the Shell thing is just you need to understand how the industry works. And I actually am pretty proud of Shell for coming out publicly saying, look, this is what we're going to do. And this is the goal that we have. You know, the oil and gas industry, no matter how you look at it, whether you look at upstream, midstream, downstream, or even the service companies, everything is a project and everything is engineering. And if you want a company to actually make a difference in things like CO2 emissions, there's no better industry in the world than the oil and gas industry because we do this. We got the engineers. We understand large global projects. We do this day to day. The other thing that's driving this is investor pressure. It's going to be really interesting to see, Paige, after we get out of this COVID-19 because I don't know about you, but have you seen Greta lately? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody's thinking about corporate social responsibility anymore. Everybody's worried about making sure they can pay their bills, make sure they keep their people employed. It's going to be really interesting to see if that CSR stuff that was so big that was influencing investors up until, say, two months ago. Let's see if it comes back. Actually, I don't think it will. As an industry, we're already very much stewards of the environment. I mean, we live here. We play here. Our kids grow up here. And I think some of this over hyped CSR type of stuff. I think a lot of it's going to go away. I think we'll get back to the reality of what we need to do. I hope so. But, you know, hats off for Shell for public saying we're going to do it. This is what we're going to do. Here's the dates that we're going to do it. Let's see what happens. Okay. Oil glut may overwhelm storage tanks in weeks. We're practically there. So it's yeah. getting to the point now. I have a buddy of mine, big shout out to say DMs, his initials. Okay. But him and I have been on the phone the last couple of days. He's managed to find some barges some all storage barges and he's broken a deal right now and it looks like he's probably gonna pull it off but they're literally storing oil anywhere you can 
the pipelines are shutting down pipelines and just leaving all the pipeline as storage. And so it's the first time in my entire life that the world's storage is just about maxed out. In fact, we're recording this on a Saturday. It'll probably go out Tuesday of next week-ish. I would think by Thursday, after y'all hear this episode, storage will be maxed out in the world, which means you That's can't- That's so crazy. Isn't that crazy? Which means you're not gonna be able to put another drop anywhere. And what happens when you can't put it anywhere? You just gotta stop production. I mean, yeah. you just literally can't put it anywhere. And it's really interesting, OPEC, specifically Saudi Arabia, before all this started happened, started putting contracts on very large crude carriers or super tankers. And it's almost like, did they know this was going to happen? And so they got the contracts on the storage cheaper than everybody else because they did it first. And now they're filling up these very large crude carriers in sea and they're storing the oil out in the ocean. If that's true, and there's nothing wrong with that, it's nothing illegal, that's being a smart business person. But if it's true, that means Saudi Arabia at least thinks that it's going to happen pretty quick, that this oil's go back on the market and the price of oil's going to go back up relatively quickly. We think it's going to go up by the first quarter of next year, 2021. But you know, to see all the CapEx budgets and the upstream operators being slashed and to see the pipeline companies grind to a halt and to see the refineries and the petrochemical plants literally cut output – but then to see big companies store all this oil, waiting for it to come back, it's going to be a really interesting time. And I don't know the answers. This this is a unique time in history. Never in the history of the oil and gas industry has the price of operation and production of crude gotten so low. And I mean the actual cost of producing crude. I mean, we have wells out there that are making money at $35 a barrel. Then we had this global pandemic that shuts down literally the entire world's economy in some degree or fashion. So demand for hydrocarbons has disappeared and the price has tanked. So we're in this very unique once in a lifetime situation. Now we'll tell you this much, you know, there's a lot of people being laid off and our hearts go out to you. The jobs will come back and they'll come back fast. I think our recovery from this is not going to be the typical U-shaped recovery where it takes years before things come back. I think it's going to be a V-shaped recovery. And I think it's going to come back with a vengeance. And then the other thing I'm very hopeful for is once again, for the first time in history, the biggest producers in the world. So the U.S., Texas, Russia, <laughs> Saudi Arabia. Of course, Texas. Have come to an agreement. And so that agreement, if we can stick to it, if we can grow that partnership, which I never ever imagined us Russia and OPEC sitting at the table together to come to agreement. But if we can keep that agreement together and keep those three countries working together, we may never have this happen again. If we have the biggest producers all agreeing and talking to each other, when the economy slows and the demand for hydrocarbons slow, everybody takes their foot off the gas and prices stay consistent. When the economy booms and we need more hydrocarbons, everybody steps on the gas and prices stay consistent. So knock on wood, there's a chance this may be the last downturn our industry ever goes through to this degree. I hope so. I don't know. I, gas per gallon is much as it was when I started driving. So that's a little terrifying. It's so cheap. I filled up the other day and it was like, I think less than $27. My car only runs super. So, Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah. But you know, most people in the country see that as a benefit. Only people that work in the oil and gas industry go, damn, I wish I get price I of actually gas had to correct my sister about that. She's like, oh, gas is so cheap. And I was like, that doesn't necessarily mean that's good for my industry. And actually for the economy. So yeah. we want companies to make a profit, especially the oil and gas industry. And that has a trickle down effect to everything from hotels and restaurants and truckers and you know carnival cruise lines and airlines and you know everybody else. But a uh, whole lot of stuff going on. Speaking of a whole lot of stuff going on, Paige, you know what we're doing? We're recording a podcast. <laughs> <Besides> <laughs> 
well, you're new to the show. Yeah. Yeah. So we're still doing our IBM t-shirt giveaway. Oh, I helped you design that. You did help me design that. It's really cool. We spent money on these things. They're cut for men and women. You get to pick your size. It has a pump jack patent on the front. It has OGGN logo on one sleeve, IBM logo on the other sleeve. And the biggest thing it has this unique serialized number on the chest. It's kind of small. You got to read it. If you have one of these shirts, write down that number. We were supposed to give away some cool stuff last show, Jake's last show. And quite honestly, IBM is so busy helping fight this pandemic that we said, you know what? It's not the right time. So that means Paige and I will be giving away something really cool really soon once things kind of get back to normal. So if you haven't won one of these shirts yet, you can register every week. So just register every week. And if you don't win, register next week. The cool thing is, Paige, just get to the point now, like it was not that long ago I was in Canada at an event. And one of the people in the audience was wearing this shirt and they couldn't help us. So they had to run up and show me the shirt. Like, I'm a winner. That's awesome. It, really, it is awesome. I would have done the same thing. Too. <laughs> By the way, if you want to win the shirt, the link's in the show notes. Just scroll up or left, depending if you're Android or iOS, and just click on the link and register. Scary number. What's the rig count doing, uh, Paige? 504. 504. That's a nasty number. It's going to drop more. Yeah, I know. Speaking of not dropping more, our street team's growing. If you want to be part of our street team, it's really simple. Go to Facebook. Just search for OGG and street team. You basically help us with our social media. We ask you to give us an hour's worth of work a week. But if you can't, we understand life gets in the way. Although with everybody locked down at home, you should be able to give us an hour's worth of work. You're basically helping us promote our social media stuff. And I have something to add to that. There are two questions when you try to become a part of the group. If you do not answer those questions, I will decline your request. That's good to know. So Paige is making sure that you're real people, right? So she has questions there to make sure that you're a real person. And so go answer the question. You can't just join. You have to actually answer the question and then you're good. And then here's the funny thing, Paige. I have been putting out this monthly oil and gas events newsletter for I was gonna 10 ask you. years. 10 years. I've never missed a month unless something bad happened. And we've missed two months only because there's no oil and gas events. There's none. And it's like, what do I put in the newsletter? So people out there that have signed up for that, it's not that it's gone away. There's just no oil and gas events. So a little bit of patience. Once the industry starts picking back up, we'll, well start putting that. I, what I've seen online is a lot of people doing you know, Zoom and webinars and those type of events. Do you think maybe we could start putting some of those if we can kind of collect them up? And That's a great idea. Matter of fact, you know, we're doing one. Oh, are we? Yeah, it's April 30th on Thursday. Look for the link. We'll put it in the show notes. But we decided to give back to our audience and to all the companies that support us and all the people, the marketing and salespeople that are hurting right now because they can't get it from their clients. So we're going to do a webinar for free on how to grow your brand using podcasts. Because you know what? We're really good at growing brands using podcasts. That's true. That's, yeah. that's very true. <laughs> yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you want to go check it out, I think we have about 50 seats left. So hurry up and sign up. It's going to be a fun time. We're literally going to tell you how we do everything. We'll show you what equipment we use, the processes we use, the techniques, how we do interviews. So if you want to set it up for yourself, you know, as your personal branding is a way to get your story out there, especially if you're maybe looking for work join us. If you're a big company like our other sponsors and you want to learn how to use podcasting to stay in front of your prospects and your clients and help educate them in a way that's extremely cost effective and very efficient at getting your message in front of people, come join us there as well. It'll be fun. And then this is the point where I usually talk about travel. And <laughs> <laughs> where are you going? I'm going to Starbucks. No, I'm going to the kitchen when I finish this. That's where I'm going. <laughs> but when things do calm down, if you want us to come speak, let me know. It's really cool, Paige. You know who's joined me on my speaking trio? Oh, Justin Gauthier. No. no? <gasps> Tim Taylor. Tim Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yay. So Justin's the host of Oil and Gas Onshore. He also does speaking if you want to reach out to him. But Tim Taylor is joining me as my sidekick. So when we go to these universities or conferences or expos or, you know, companies want us to come speak, Tim's now joining me. and He's bringing a younger 
different viewpoint than mine, but he's just a great guy. And if you don't know who Tim is, he's our marketing director for OGGN. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, all the stuff you see online, it's all Tim and his team doing. And he, he's awesome. But I am actually doing a sales conference virtually in two weeks, which I've never done before. So we'll see how that goes. I've actually cut my fees because it's an experiment. I have no idea if I'm going to be good at it or not. But so we do have at least one virtual conference that I'm doing. And then first Friday Q&A, you know the drill. If you have a question you want to ask, go to allgasthisweek.com, click ask a question. If we use your question on the air, we give you a big shout out. Remember the goal is not to stump Paige and I. And then while you're out there, go ahead and give us your email address. This webinar that we're doing about how to build your brand using podcast, if you had given us your email address, you would have already gotten the email let you know about it. So you learn about stuff first. Yeah. yeah. We promise never to spam you. And then go join our LinkedIn group. I don't know what we're up to. We're over 30,000 people on that group because of Tim and his team. It's a great place. Well, the group is different than our company page. The company Correct. page is like over 30,000. I think we're almost up to 3,000 on the group because okay. I'm the one that moderates that. Which one, the group or the company? The page? group. Okay. All right. Actually, I'm glad you're on the show. I've never made that distinction before. <laughs> you're the one that gave me access. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> All right. So actually, people, I'd love to know what you think about Paige's first show. Oh, uh, no. No, no, no. no, no, no yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. She's a little nervous, which is funny because she's been here forever. But you know, this is such a big and important show. I think she's done a great job. So audience, reach out. Let us know what you think about Paige's first time on the show. You know what, Paige? What? About time to get out of here. You ready? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work. Pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here are the sort of fake events on deck. <laughs> sort of fake. Bye, y'all. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously, we are in uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So we just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.